You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Erin from Hotter Than Ever, and my friends Katie and Nathan of Queen's Podcast asked me to let you know that they swear in this show. And hey, we know that's not everyone's thing, so if you're not a fan of strong language, this isn't the show for you. That's okay, though, because if you like hearing about strong, ambitious women, then you might like my podcast, Hotter Than Ever. It's a show about how the second half of your life can be happier, sexier, and more fulfilled. I bring you thoughtful interviews with inspiring women and frank, inexpert advice on everything from career reinvention and aging to body image and sex, which is my favorite subject. Join me and we can be hot together. Hi, this is Katie. And this is Nathan. And you're listening to Queen's Podcast, the show about inspiring women in history. Oh, hello, Nathan. Hey, Katie. Welcome, 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 everybody. So today we are doing part one in a two-part series about who, Nathan? Tina Turner. That's gay for Tina Turner. Tina Turner, the (laughs) queen of rock and roll. Oh, my gosh. Nathan, do you have a favorite Tina Turner song? Oh my gosh, I think it's what our drink is named after. Okay, and what's that? It's called the Providential Dance of (laughs) Do what you want me to do. But no, Nathan, tell us about the private dancer cocktail. So it's two whole ounces of cognac, three quarters of an ounce of chocolate liqueur, and a half an ounce of creme de mint. Guys, if you like those little Andes mint chocolates... They're delicious, except you should probably water this down a little bit because she's strong, girl, just, just like, like Tina. our Tina Turner. I, I am taking a break from alcohol because I've had a couple of heavy drinking weekends and my liver and my wallet both just went plus. And so I am drinking peach sparkling water from <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm proud of Beautiful. you. Beautiful. We've got some Patreon shout outs. All right. So... Shout out to our new Patreon supporters, Morgan, Sarah, and Lean. Also to Carly, Samantha, and Fallon. Yes, and thank you to our Patreon supporters at every level, or just thank you for tuning in, regardless. Welcome. Yes. If this is your first episode, I'm sorry it's going to be such a fucking bummer. (laughs) So up top, like I said, Tina's going to have two episodes. This one is going to be the trauma episode. So up top, Nathan, what do we need to give some trigger warnings for? Oh my god. Trigger warnings for just generalized abuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's mainly domestic abuse. So if that's not your thing, Tina Turner. I, I don't know I don't know whose thing that would be. Okay. Yes. <laughs> if that's something that's gonna like really affect your mood today and you're just not 
you know what? Come back in two weeks. We're going to have her second part. <laughs> but uh, it'll be a lot happier. It'll be a lot happier. But in this one, there is going to be quite a bit of um, domestic and a little bit of sexual abuse. So if it's something mm. that's going to send you over the edge, see you in a couple of weeks. But yes, that... no, nothing wrong with skipping one day. No, we're, we're OK with it. So, Nate, but Nathan, get us started. Let's bring Miss Tina into the world. So, Tina Turner was born November 26, 1939, in Brownsville, Tennessee, which means our girl is a Sagittarius, so that's honest, curious, adventurous, funny, wild, passionate, creative, independent. I was about to say, every Sagittarius I know is wild as hell, and (laughs) it's the truth. Tina is no exception there. At the time of her birth, uh, she was given the name Anna Mae Bullock. So in her childhood and most of her life, like her friends did call her Anna Mae. But we've had other women on this show that their names changes throughout their life. We typically just stick with the name that they're famous with. Uh, So we're going to call her Tina Turner just for continuity's sake. But yeah, when she was a little girl, she was Anna Mae Bullock. So Tina grew up in Nutbush, Tennessee, a small little town. And I have so many jokes about it. I knew you would. I'm so surprised you got through saying Nutbush. Yeah, that's how you get that's how you get pregnant is you nut and bush. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. (laughs) Nathan, have you ever heard because Nathan and I were talking about up top how we uh, both grew up with Tina Turner music in our lives, but not until like the 90s or 80s or 90s. So I miss so much of Tina's early music. But have you ever heard her song, Nutbush City Limits, about the town that she grew up in? What? Yeah. No, I have not. Okay. Well, a little special moment just for our Patreon listeners. Because we're behind a paywall. It's not even a town. It's like an incorporated piece of land. Like, it's not even part of a town. Huh. So they don't even have a like, city government. That's how small wow. it is. And so we would consider the way that Tina grew up as poor. But, yeah. but Tina did not consider herself poor as a child. She like looked around and she was like, us? Poor? We we have food for every meal and everybody in the house has shoes on their feet. Who are you talking about poor? Because there were people in this town that were poor, poor. And she was like, we got, we got three square meals. So I don't know who you're calling poor because it's not us. Yeah. And what was Tina's home life like? Not super happy. No. Her parents, Floyd and Zelma, hated each other. Uh, foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, they were actually about to get divorced when Zelma found out that she was pregnant with Tina. So there was some resentment towards her from her parents, which is really shitty. She didn't do anything. You, she I know. She didn't make y'all conceive her. You shouldn't hold it against her. But Tina had a very complicated relationship with her mom, which is something she's going to deal with her whole life. And her mom would always compare Tina to her older sister, Eileen, because Eileen was quiet and well-behaved and very conventionally pretty. And Tina was hyper and loud and like a little bit more rough around the edges. And also, Eileen's hair was more fine and easier to manage, whereas Tina's hair was thicker and needed a little extra TLC. And this affected Tina hard. In her book, she said, Mom had a gentle touch when she brushed Eileen's hair. And I thought, that's nice because I love my sister, but I wish I had the same for me. Oh, yeah. Because she would like when her mom was brushing her hair in the morning before school, she would just like tug her hair around and yell at her the whole time. And it's just like, come on. Uh, 
It gave Tina a complex about her hair for years and years to come. But other than that, they lived in, you know, for a rural family in the 40s, Tina lived a pretty normal life. They went to church every Sunday. She sang in the choir and they went to school in one of those schoolhouses. that's just like all the students in one big room. Tina said she actually liked school because she got to socialize. So she made friends. She was super popular, but she struggled with learning disabilities. But it wasn't until the 90s that she was actually diagnosed with dyslexia. Like 40 years later. Yeah, because they didn't back in the 40s and 50s. They didn't have the language to talk about dyslexia. You know, they didn't know what it was. And so the teachers are like, you know, she's got a lot going for her. She's very charismatic and she comes off as smart, but she's just not like they were. And this actually reminds me, you know, I've talked about on this show before. I'm dyslexic and that's genetic. So my grandmother was dyslexic as well. And she would have been about the same age. She's told me before, you're lucky you're growing up when you are. Because when I was in high school, they were just like, oh, some kids are just dumb. And that kind of is like the treatment that Tina got. And teachers would never say that now. But back then, that's just the language. They were like, some kids are just dumb, you know? Ouch. <laughs> I know. Like, seriously. Oof. Anyway. Back to Tina. Tina and her sister Eileen could both sing, but Tina had prezzles. No. And she could dance, y'all. And Eileen couldn't really dance. So there was a little bit of a sibling rivalry there. Right. She had, she just had the riz, which is a word that Nathan learned for the first time a few days ago. <laughs> <laughs> so that's her family dynamic. It isn't particularly peaceful, but that's all she knew. She didn't know that not everybody's parents were having knockout, knockdown drag out fights all the time, you know, until she was 11 years old when her mom just left. Didn't tell anybody where she was going. Didn't leave a forwarding address. She didn't want her husband to be able to find her. And she was ready to be out of this marriage. But how do you think that made her kids feel? Oof. Oof. Not, not good. Probably not. <laughs> but however it made them feel, double that. Because the next year, dad was like, fuck this single dad shit. And he filed for and was granted a divorce on the grounds of abandonment. And then moved to Detroit with his new wife. And... That is the end of Floyd Bullock's part in this story. We never hear from her dad again. Ah, dad, yeah. Um, so their grandma took them to Brownsville, Tennessee, where they lived for the next few years. And once in Brownsville, Tina got a job as a babysitter for this family nearby called the Hendersons. And it seems like working for the Hendersons actually had a really positive effect on her. Yeah, she said that she'd never seen a married couple that loved each other before, which wasn't really this family dynamic that she was used to. Yeah. Also, during her time here, she was in high school and she had a boyfriend and was on the basketball team and the cheerleading squad. So, hey, life is good for this teenage Tina. Yeah, she's uh, babysitting, hanging out with a family that seemed to be kind of cool. And she's, yeah, popular at school. But then, unfortunately, tragedy hits and grandma dies. And now Tina has to go live with their mother in St. Louis. It's 1955. She's 16. She really hasn't had much communication with her mom since she was like 11. So it could be really awkward. But here's one silver lining. In St. Louis in the 1950s, that was a major hub for music everywhere. 
And what you need to know is rock and roll and R&B were in and out everywhere. And Tina was into it. And so was her sister Eileen. So Eileen was also a singer and a songwriter. So she hung out at a lot of nightclubs with her boyfriend and other singers. And after, Tina begged to come along. And finally, Eileen was like, okay, stop being my pesky sister. (laughs) Fine. You can come with me. Just shut up and don't try to get in between me and my boyfriend. That's probably a pretty common uh, feeling for a lot of older siblings when you're younger siblings. It's like, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? And finally, you're just like, like, just, fuck, just, yes. Just stay away from me and my boyfriend. (laughs) Don't talk to us. You're fine. Right. (laughs) So one night, Tina walks into this nightclub in St. Louis, in St. Louis, with her sister. And it's a night in 1956, and it changes her life. Because for better or for worse, she met Ike Turner playing with his band, playing with his band called the Kings of Rhythm. You know what, Katie? I'm not mad that you called it St. Louis because (laughs) it just makes me think of Judy Garland. I know. I'm just Um. speaking of Judy. But everybody that's actually lived there says St. Louis. (laughs) Yes. And for better or for worse... I think I need to top off my drink because we just mentioned I turn her. I'm like, here it goes. I need, yeah, I need the drink. So we will be right back. Despite our worst efforts, we still have to introduce Ike Turner. Unfortunately, he's a big part of the next few years. Yeah. And Ike was 24, and he was very popular with a, in a local band leader at the time. So dude was a really talented guitarist, songwriter, and let's be honest about that, for sure. He was talented, but he also loved the ladies, and the ladies loved him for loving him. Yes, it's because he had a rough childhood. He didn't get enough love in his childhood. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But no, he did have a really rough childhood, and uh, he kind of felt angry at the world. So maybe this is some foreshadowing. Also, in like the 80s, I think, he was diagnosed uh, as bipolar. But again, just like... They didn't know dyslexia. They didn't know bipolar, or at least enough to give practical measures on how to live with that. So he's doesn't he's got things against him, and he's mad at the world for it. Now, Eileen knew Ike and his band, so she introduced Tina. And Tina was like, hey, I can sing if you ever need a girl singer. And he was like, LOL, who is this baby child? And why is she asking to sing in my band, King... Of rhythm, like, no. No. He was very dismissive. I mean, I kind of get it. It's sort of like, who are you? What? <laughs> okay. So eventually, though, during one of their intermissions, because Ike would kind of would sometimes let the pretty girls come up on stage and sing during the intermission, but he would never let Tina. And so one day, she rushes up there and grabs the mic before anybody else could. And she starts singing from the depths of her soul. I think that's what we call Sanging. She was sanging. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and Ike whips around and he's like, what the fuck? I know you said you could sing, but you didn't say you could sing, sing. Or you didn't say you could sing. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, well, now you know. And he's like, okay. TLDR, she now starts singing as a backup singer in the band. And we're going to blow by some facts from Tina's personal life because we have a lot of story to fit in. Yeah. But Tina starts dating the saxophone player of the band at the age of 18, and she gets pregnant for the first time. Mm-hmm. But what we but we don't even need to know Mr. Saxophone Player's name because he disappears before the baby is even born and is never 
heard from again. Loser. Yeah, what I heard is that he, <laughs> while Tina was pregnant, he like broke his ankle. And so he had to go home. And I was like, how is that a, how is that an excuse? Oh, you're, to- <laughs> you're pregnant. I broke my ankle. How is that an excuse to baby. be an absentee father because you broke your ankle one time? I, I don't know. The math wasn't mad there. But anyway, but it's okay. Because by the time the baby is born, she's already like a full-fledged part of this band. And it seems like the band from like the people in the band to the backup singers, they all kind of lived in their own little community almost. And they lived in this house together and they take in Tina and her baby. And so she names, she has a son. She names him Craig. And Ike kind of has a revolving door of girlfriends coming and going from the house. And the girlfriends are often helping Tina with Craig so she can go perform and also, Ike has two sons from a previous relationship living in the house. And so if there's Craig, Tina's baby, <clears throat> and then Ike's kids are Michael and Ike Jr. And they were all born between 1957 and 1959. And so the three are basically raised like brothers. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. And at this time, Tina viewed Ike and all the other guys in the band as brothers. And actually, nothing happened sexually between the two of them for two or more years after she had the baby. And during that time, Ike was teaching Tina everything she needed to know about performing. He showed her what to wear. He showed her vocal tricks to, like, control her breathing and her singing. Um, He showed her how to dance and do her makeup and hair. But it was very clear in the band, The King's Rhythm, this is not a collaboration. This is an Ike Turner production. And you're all here because I can't play every instrument at one time i can't sing every part at one time i write the songs and you everybody you do exactly how i tell you to do it but tina was fine with this she didn't write songs she just sang them so one day the whole band had paid for a day at a recording studio and another guy was supposed to sing with tina on backing right but that guy didn't show up, and Ike got big mad. Oof. And Tina was like, okay, okay, hold on. Let's think of a solution here. Since we've already paid for the recording studio, and I already know the song, why don't I just sing? And Ike is like, whatever, fine, whatever. You're right. We're just going to let it go to waste if we don't record something. So they record this demo and Ike actually planned to not to not use Tina's vocals. He planned to like shop it around with her vocals and then record over it as soon as they got a quote unquote professional singer to step in. But long story short, there was a DJ in in St. Louis that got a hold of it and he was like, This is a bop. And sent it to a producer. And the producer reached out to Ike and is like, I'm gonna pay you twenty five thousand dollars. For the rights to this song. Um, 25,000 American dollars in the 1950s? Yeah. That's that's like $250,000 today. Yes. And so Ike is like, okay, anime. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to be a recurring theme. Okay, anime. Okay, anime. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was like, you are our lead singer now. Side note, for the record, A Fool in Love made well over a million dollars for the guy that bought it for 25000 It was number two on the R&B charts and 27 on the Hot 100 charts, which not a lot of records by unknown black singers did that back then. I guess this got Tina and Ike in the mood because their relationship went from platonic to very not. 
platonic around this time. But Tina wasn't taking it seriously. Ike had a dozen of girlfriends, and she was just having some fun. Yeah, yeah it was sort of like, um, okay, we're just hooking up, making music, whatever. And this is when they changed anime Bullock's name to Tina Turner and put her front and center. Ike actually had the name Tina Turner trademarked because his thinking was, okay, well, if she leaves, like if she gets a boyfriend or gets married and wants to leave the band, I can just replace her with uh, somebody else and call them Tina Turner as well. Um, Gross. Well, I mean, because he's not looking at it. Yeah, he's looking at it from a business standpoint at this point. And right now, Tina's just like, okay. They changed the name of the band to the Ike and Tina Turner Review. Uh, But still, even though Tina's name is now in the, you know, main name of the band, let's still not get it twisted. This is still Ike Turner's band. Yeah, but here's something I didn't realize while researching this, that Tina Turner is a character that Annie Mae Bullock played on stage. All the suggestive dancing, all the screaming and sexiness, that's a character that Ike Turner crafted. Yeah, I didn't really think about that until I was watching, I think it was a Larry King Live interview with her, where she was like, if I get up on stage and do something sexy, people are like, oh, she's so risque. And it's like, but why is it different when an actor does a sex scene or something in a movie and then they get nominated for an award? She's like, mm-hmm. we are musicians are usually playing characters, too. This is just a character. I'm not this sex pot person that you see up on stage. Because when you think of Tina Turner performing, you think of... what? Do you, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think visually of Tina Turner performing? Legs for days. Sexy, 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 right? Yes. Yes, yes. And she's like, that's not who I am. But she started playing this character and yeah, and that's how we know her. Anyway. And, and soon after they made that change, one of their songs got nominated for a Grammy. What? They didn't win, but that's when Ike was like, oh, shite. Oh, shite. <laughs> Tina is the secret shosh, and it's not no fluke. <laughs> I don't know what that voice so, was, but we're trying to I, I don't either. You know? I'm just going with it. Just came over you. So, yeah. So he starts getting real controlling with everything that Tina did, mm-hmm. from what she wore to her makeup. And he'd get really upset if she didn't agree with his vision. Yeah. One day... Tina goes to Ike and is like, hey, I feel like we are amazing business partners. I really feel like this is popping off great. But, you know, the saying, don't shit where you eat. She was like, I, I'm i happy to continue as partners and creative partners or business partners, whatever. But I think maybe the physical part of our relationship needs to be done. Yeah. And- so, hey, c- content warning, skip ahead a minute if you're having a bad day. Yeah. And that's when Ike turns to her holding a shoe stretcher, which I had to Google. I didn't know what the fuck that is. Do you know what these? Do you know what these are, Nathan? Yeah, they're like the wooden yes thingies it's just, where you like turn it and it makes your shoe bigger. It's like two pounds of pure heavy wood. Yeah, and he decides to smack her in the head with it. In her memoir, she would say that he never hit her and hit with his hands because he was a guitar player. And his hands were his money. So he had to hit her with something like an object. Yeah. And thanks. And thanks, douchebag. And that must have really fucking hurt. A grown ass man is hitting you with your full force with one with an object like that. But she was just like, she said it hurt. But more than anything, she was shocked. Like, what the fuck just happened? She'd never 
seen a man hit a woman like that before. Like her parents would fight and they might get a little bit physical, like what we would consider abusive, but not like blunt trauma, you know, to the head, yeah. not like that kind of. And then this is the worst thing that we're going to say in this show. After he hit her and she kind of like got up and like realized what happened. He was like, okay, now get on the bed. And that's where we're going to end that part of that description. But oh you can God. know, you can understand what that means. Yeah. What the fuck? What the fuck? And I thought, uh, I thought Catherine Howard was sad. I thought that was the saddest thing we were going to talk about this whole fucking season. Uh, uh, so, this is 1960. <laughs> Tina doesn't leave Ike until 1976. That's for the So, moving forward, we're going to kind of skim over some of the domestic abuse stories because they're, they're important, yes, but it's so frequent and so traumatizing kind of redundant like it's the same it's kind of the same story over and over and we've got a lot of good things to talk about too so so while we'll allude to them when relevant just know that this is going on constantly for the next 16 years yeah Yeah. um in 1962 one day ike wakes tina up saying hey we're gonna go get married now and she's just like okay and so they drive down to mexico to tijuana it probably wasn't super legal because Ike maybe didn't officially divorce his last wife. Nathan, guess how many wives Ike Turner had in his life? I'm hoping it's like Henry VIII, six. Fourteen. What? Fourteen. According to, I don't know how true this is, uh, but someone once told me in the state of Texas where Nathan and I live, you can only get married, you can only marry seven women in your life. And if you... If you've divorced someone for the seventh time, if you want to remarry, if you want to get a marriage license again in the state of Texas, it has to be to one of your previous wives. So Ike Turner would have had to start the roster again and go through a whole nother time. (laughs) Oh, my God. So after the wedding, Ike took her to a sex worker house in Tijuana to see a live show, which was something that Tina was not very much into. I mean, look, if you're both into it, cool. None of my business. But uh, if, I, if I'm if i like, hey, I, I'd, I'd rather just go have Mexican food and a margarita and go to bed. Yeah. But no, it's, in her book, she said that it was more gynecological than erotic. I don't really, I didn't need her to expand on that. It was like, cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear anything about gynecology. <laughs> You're like, I was like, um, hey, man, <laughs> let's stop there. <laughs> but no, she just didn't find it fun or sexy or anything at all. Tina told all of her friends, Oh, he whisked me away to a Mexican resort, took me to a cabaret afterwards, because what else are you going to say? I saw a pap smear on stage. No. No. (laughs) Uh. Okay, so we're going to do some skimming over the next few years of their lives, because again, this woman just lived so much life. But if you're interested, her book that I listened to, to research this is called My Love. She wrote it in 2019. It is a really easy listen. So if you want to hear more details, check that out. So Tina and I get pregnant and Tina goes on tour while she's pregnant and she performs up until like two days before she gives birth. And can you imagine, because you know how physical her performances are? She was, she was not toning it down, but again, she was like the 20. So she's, this is, this is akin to the women we've covered that went on horseback 
for uh, while they were pregnant. This is the same sort of physical activity. Yeah. Baby girls, stop what you're doing. Mm-mm. Go lay lay down. No. <laughs> have some orange juice. Chill the fuck out. She was not a chill the fuck out person anyway. And also Ike was so, so stingy. Anybody in the band was five minutes late for rehearsal. They had to pay Ike $5. Or if a woman got a tear in her pantyhose, Ike would not replace it for her. Dude's got issues. Yeah. Oh, he was so stingy. So, yeah, she was performing up until two days before the birth because that's where he booked shows until two days. If he would have if he would have booked a show the day that she went to labor, she would have been having that yeah, baby on like the at the hospital. <laughs> I'm surprised. He, bush, I'm actually surprised he didn't have her performing at the hospital, like in the cafeteria know, right? or something. But uh, uh. but no. So she has their one biological son that they have together, and they name him Ronnie. Tina adopts Ike's two other sons, and Ike adopts. Tina's son, Craig. So legally, they are one big happy family, which on the outside, how nice is that? Yeah, except your husband's an abusive ass. And sleeping with every other woman that he meets still. Yeah. <sighs> Lovely. So uh, during this tour, she meets a lifelong best friend named Rhonda. And she was a woman that started to work for them. She was a white woman that went on tour with an all-black band, which would have been... In the deep south. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. yeah. That would have been like, oh my god. They were denied hotel rooms. And then Rhonda would go full-blown Karen, which, good for her. Yeah. Speak to the manager. They started having so, Rhonda call and make all their hotel reservations and be the one to go in and get the keys. Good for her. Good for them. Yeah. And good for her for... You know what? Sometimes Karens can be allies. Yes, yes, absolutely. They are the best allies if you get them on your side. There was also stories about how uh, they would be at like, a, if they had to stop and get gas at the gas station, they would have, Rhonda would have to lay down on like the ground on the tour bus and they'd all throw her, their coats over her. Because if they saw a white woman sitting in a van with a bunch of black people, someone would call the cops. Oh my God. I know. I mean, one good thing that came out of it is that Rhonda and Tina are friends for the rest of their lives. That's good. Yeah. So they do a UK tour with the Rolling Stones. Maybe you've heard of them. NBD. NBD. <laughs> because in America, their music, it's like too white for black radio stations, but too black for white radio stations. So they're struggling to find where they fit in, their audience. But the Brits fucking love them. Yes, the British people are in to the Ike and Tina review. And Tina and Mick Jagger actually become lifelong friends, which is a pretty good friend to have in this industry, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And Tina fell in love with London, which really isn't that surprising. It was so different than anything she knew back home. She loved fashion. She loved history. Same. Um, She loved the people, and the people loved her. Yes. She tells this one story in her book, though, that uh, they went to McDonald's in London and they tried to get iced tea, which in the U.S., especially in the South, you know, iced tea, it's... Uh, Sweet tea. Yeah. It's the house wine of the South. Yeah, it's the house wine of the South. That is such a good way to put it. But like British people... Uh, I, I can't claim that, that that's from Steel Magnolia. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> but the British people did not fucking understand what they were asking for. They were like, so you want us to make you hot tea and then put ice in it? <laughs> Like it was yeah, just are you, a cultural. What is wrong with you? And then she's like, and five scoots of sugar, please. Yeah. And they're like, what? Also, while in London, she got her first psychic reading, something that later would be an important ritual in her life. And that psychic told her, "You are going to be a huge star. 
But your partner's gonna fall by the wayside. And already, this early on in her life, she starts thinking, how how nice it would be to perform without my crazy husband. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, how nice would it be to, like, have freedom? But at this point, she doesn't really have the confidence yet to see herself as a solo act at all. And I also also have to imagine getting her first psychic reading then. I I mean, she grew up in the Christian South that probably was like witchcraft, you know, and so but now she's experiencing new things, going to new places, meeting new people. So she probably felt liberated to do something new like that and realize, oh, no, I don't feel like this is witchcraft. I feel like this is something that's kind of cool. So I like that. So they come back home to America and now they're famous in 1967, Tina Turner was the first black person on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Hands up. And? She was also the first woman on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Yes! It was only the second issue of Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, John Lennon was on the first and Tina Turner was on the second. (laughs) But she is still (laughs) the first black person and the first woman on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. (laughs) Well deserved. I don't know. It's so cool. It's cool either way. (laughs) But their careers were blowing the fuck up. Guess who wasn't on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine and felt like he was being a little bit overshadowed. The jealous. Fragile dick energy Ike Turner over here. <laughs> He's like, I am the person that made her famous. Why am I not being on the cover of the magazine? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, the, the more successful the band got, the more famous Tina got because, duh, she's the lead singer. And it seemed like the more famous Tina got, the more he felt like he needed to control her. Put her in her place. Take her down a few pegs. Ugh, gross. But she talks about one time they did a show and everyone was calling for an encore, but they were chanting, Tina, Tina, Tina. Yeah. And she was like, I wanted them to stop because I knew I was going to get slapped around for them calling for my name and my name only. But you know what? The I can Tina Turner review doesn't really roll off the tongue when I chant, no, when you're chanting. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, I hate that for her because it's like such a lose lose situation for her because it's like, what? If I perform shitty, Ike is going to punish me. But if I perform so well that people call me by name, Ike is going to punish me. A little later in the late 60s, Tina got a taste of freedom. Nathan, have you ever seen the movie Tommy? No. Okay. So you know the band The Who? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I've seen it because, you know, I'm a huge classic rock nerd. And I saw it when I was in high school, and I was just like, well, that's a weird fucking movie, and never really thought about it again. She played the Acid Queen in it, which, again, is just this, like, overly sexualized character where she gets to scream and act crazy. Um, but before we move on about how this affected Tina Turner's life, um, so it started as a concept album, and they turned it into a movie. Tina Turner's in it, Elton John, Eric Clapton, Jack Nicholson, obviously everybody in The Who is in it. It's about... A disabled kid who gets sexually assaulted, but then learns how to play pinball real good and starts a cult. What the fuck? I know. What the fuck was going on with movies in the 70s? Like, <laughs> No, so she played the acid queen. Ike was not invited to come to London for the recording of this movie. So she kind of gets like 15 seconds of freedom. Oh, finally. And 
And she loved having this little glimpse of what it would be like to not be controlled every second of the day. She was having so much fun playing this over-the-top character and just getting to do something new. She loved being back in London, but all her money she made was being sent right back to Ike. And he watched their bank accounts like a hawk. So she didn't get to do too much outside of that besides just work. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, I think it's important for anybody that doesn't realize a woman couldn't even, in most states in America, a woman couldn't even open a bank account or it was okay for a bank to deny a woman to open a bank account without her husband or her father co-signing. Yeah. So husbands had complete control. I mean, my husband and I have a shared bank account now. I couldn't go close it on my own, but he couldn't go close it on his own either. We both have to be there. But if I wanted to go take out $500, I can do that because I'm an adult on the account. And But that wouldn't have been the yeah. case for Tina back then. I quit. The husbands could have very, very, very tight control over the bank account. And while filming Tommy, she went on the Anne Margaret show. So Anne Margaret was a singer, dancer, actress, (laughs) who had her own variety show in the UK. And whereas everyone else had been instructed to wire any money Tina had made back to Ike, Anne Margaret was like, I'm just going to pay you and we don't have to tell Ike. Because Anne Margaret is a feminist. She's a girl. Yes. Girl. She is here for the girls. And I don't know anything about Anne Margaret, but I love her. <laughs> I think she was in Tommy. <laughs> I think she was in Tommy. She, she could be an awful human being, but I love, I love her, her because. For this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so sadly, when Tina did have to head home, the abuse picked right up. That that must have been so hard having this a break from the abuse and then having to come home and get right back, having it become a part of your life again. And she's like, I'm calling my mom. I'm going to ask my mom, please help me form some kind of escape plan. I can't do this anymore. Help me get out of this. And what did her mom say? (laughs) Tina, he's a rich man. He puts up with you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, he's only rich because of me. Yeah. And... All you have to do is not make him mad. Excuse me, this man is a boiling pot of tumultuousness. Breathing uh, makes him mad. I guess it's- Yeah, and she's she's not gonna be silent. She she's gonna say something if something pisses her off. So it's just like, ugh. I know. And I guess it's also worth mentioning that Ike had bought Tina's mom a house. So Oh, so he wooed her with the money. And again, since Tina can't since it's Ike's name on the bank account, Tina's hard work bought the house too, but it's Ike's name on the mortgage. Little just side note, this just made my blood boil because Nathan, longtime family friend, you've met my mother several times. Yes. If I called her and was like, my husband's beating the shit out of me, which would never happen, but if I did. She would drive her ass to Austin, pull you out, and then be like, let's go, honey. I'm thinking she more would have been like, all right, baby, so do you want to be part, like, do you want to know where the body is buried, or do you want to, like, (laughs) have, like, this deniability? I wasn't going to go that far, but it's true. Yes. (laughs) It's true. Yes, and that's something, you deserve that from your mom, so I hate that her mom was just like, he's a rich man that puts up with you, what more do you want? I mean, like we said, complicated relationship with her mother. Anyway. She's miserable. Yeah, this next part may be a bit of a content warning, too, if you want to just skip until after the next ad break <laughs> has to do with schmoomishmoomishied yeah um so she was just miserable that one day in 1968 and she ended up taking 
50 sleeping pills. She just didn't want to do this anymore. She didn't have respect from her her spouse or her mother. So I I hate this, but I get it. Yeah. She just didn't want to do it anymore. Kids, she's like, I'm not setting a good, they'd be better off me not even being here anyway, because I'm not, I don't feel like I can set a good example for them. So Uh. Sad. And then Rhonda, her BFF, finds her passed out backstage after taking all those pills. And she and Ike rush her to the hospital where, thank God, they were able to revive her. But when she comes to the next day and her throat is like she can hardly talk. So they had to, you know, make her throw up. They had to pump her stomach. And she just feels weak. And she wakes up the next day and rolls over. And there's Ike's face right in her face. Oh, creepy vibe. And he says to her, you should have died, motherfucker. What? Right. What? What? And that's all he says to her. And then he leaves and he doesn't come and visit her the rest of the time that she's recovering. No ma'am, no ham, no collard greens. You better fuck the fuck off. You nope. should have died, motherfucker. Which one, though? Oh. And then there's another story after she gets a little bit better. She was like, he was like, do you know what it would have done to me if you would have died? And he doesn't mean like, I would have broken my heart. He meant like... He would have lost money. He meant the show. Yeah. 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 He, he wouldn't have been able to make money without her. Yeah. So, however, um, at this moment of distress and heartbreak, Tina says she had her aha moment realization. There must be a plan for me. Why else would God or whoever the higher power is just not let me die? So she said after this, she was determined to live a better, happier life. She didn't know how, but this was her wake up call that she was going to eventually take matters into her own hands. Right. So every, uh, the darkest hour is before the dawn. And we're about to get to the beginning of the dawn of Tina Turner. Thank God, because it has been dark. It has been dark. <laughs> so first, I'm going to go get myself another uh, sparkling water and we'll be right back. And we're back for this traumatic story. Yeah. <laughs> but like we said before the break, the darkest hour is before the dawn. So yes. So Tina's biggest act of desperation was in 1968. Her big move to change her life didn't happen overnight, as it doesn't with any of us. Right. In fact, Ike made her perform against doctor's orders two days later. After her. Like, you don't, yeah. after her smush smush meds, yeah. you don't, that person obviously needs a mental break. And so a how physical about you not, break. Yes, just a break in general. Yes. So give her more than two days of recovery. Yes. Please. But from here on out, her outlook in life started to shift a little bit. And a big part of that is that she was introduced to Buddhism. Yeah. In the late 60s, Ike had opened his own recording studio, which he called Bullock Recording Studio, just spelt different than her maiden last name, which like Tina was always like, that was the weirdest tribute. She's like, I don't really, it's kind of like saying thank you yeah. for my contributions, but at the same time, not. Like she was like, whatever. Misspelling my name. Yeah. I get it. This was also... The recording studio is also largely Ike's downfall because now he has this place where all the musicians are coming and it's the 70s. Cocaine is everywhere. Spoiler alert, Ike Turner eventually dies from a cocaine overdose. So he was he was deep, deep, deep into his addiction era. And at the studio, though, Tina was there and she met a woman named Valerie who worked like for like the sound technician people. Valerie gives her a book on Buddhism and Buddhist chants. And she says this changed her life. She found the practice of chanting helped her with her anxiety and her fears 
and helped her feel balanced. So that it was a huge turning point in her life. I mean, this is, I mean, it's common. Mantras, chantings, when you do something ritualistic every single day, it starts to help you in your life and mm-hmm. balance everything. Yeah. So she actually started chanting Christian prayers because that's what she was comfortable with. So she knew. Yeah. And she was like, at first, it didn't really matter what I chanted. It was just calming. It was repetitive. It brought me comfort. Yeah. She said, Ike hated her Buddhist practices. And that's how she knew she was on the right track. She's like, I must be onto something. Okay. So now let's switch gears a little bit. And why don't we talk about something fun? Please. Please. <laughs> Please. Tina was always trying to do new music. I mean, Nathan, if you look at the artists who stand the test of time, are they playing the same kind of music that they were playing 10 years ago? No, they're reinventing themselves. They're changing. Yeah. That's that's like a whole thing with an artist is you rebrand. Yeah. Right? And I mean, styles change, play around with new musical types, new genres, new trends. Yeah. And so Tina was always looking at what other people were doing. and But Ike was kind of like, nope, it's the Ike Turner show. So we're playing the kind of music I like. But Tina was paying attention to what other artists were doing. And Nathan, what song did Tina really like? Uh, it's one of my faves from, you know, I grew up with CCR. Mm. And if you don't know what CCR means, that's Credence Clearwater Revival. Yes. And it was a beautiful band in the 60s. And there was a song called A Proud Mary, yes. which we've luckily given um, Mary the first. <laughs> Proud Mary. <laughs> that name. <Yeah. laughs> and it fits. But Tina Turner revamped proud mary and ike kind of seemed to be into it yeah they were just kind of fucking around with it at practices though like it wasn't fully fleshed out but she was just happy that he was interested in doing a cover of a popular song one day they are doing a live show and without telling tina ike starts playing like what they've been fucking around with with proud mary live and it caught tina by so surprised yeah, so but you, you just don't throw that on somebody. Yeah, but <laughs> Tina is the queen of rolling with it. She is the queen of rolling on a river. And <laughs> so, but you know that beginning where she's just kind of like, we, every now and then you know, we like to do every something. Every now and then yeah. something rough. The, this is the song that Nathan and Katie well, yeah. sing at karaoke. So even before we even thought <laughs> about doing a podcast, when we do karaoke, we do the Ike and Tina version of... <laughs> I'm Tina, she's Ike. He's, <laughs> He's Tina. I'm Ike, but I do the Tina dancing, and he does the Tina yes, singing, yes. and I do the Ike singing. It's funny to us, and I don't know if anybody else enjoys it, but we do. But anyway, <laughs> that whole part is it's ad-libbed because she didn't remember the words right away, so she was like stalling until she could kind of remember how the song went because it took her by surprise. But how fucking iconic is that intro? We we can't get it out of our heads. Yes, like that is a we don't have- every now and then. Somebody likes to hear something from us. Nice, nice and easy. easy. So we're going to do the first part. But you never nice. ever. And easy. Nice and easy. We're going to do it nice. We like to do it nice. And rough. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. So what started as maybe microaggression by Ike turned into a smash fucking hit. Yes. People like, loved it. Yes. Their version of Proud Mary was so popular that they won a fucking Grammy on. Yes. In 1972, they won the Grammy for Best R&B Vocals, which was their third nomination and first win. Yes, rolling. 
rolling, rolling, <laughs> rolling on a real the Grammys. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see you. So they are you. on top of the world. But what has been the trend so far? The more popular they get, what does Ike feel like he needs to do? with tina control 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 and the next few years are a lot of the same so since the next few years are a lot of the same and we're about to wrap up this episode uh we are going to end this episode with tina's a grand escape but before that why don't we just talk about a couple of fun tina turner facts how about that yes that let's let's make it fun yes so fun fact Tina was obsessed with Jackie O. She thought Jackie O was just the picture of grace and class, hashtag same. And so she started wearing pearls like Jackie did. And one day she met Jackie in a hotel lobby and fangirled the fuck oh my out. God, oh my God, it's Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. And she so and Jackie is so sweet and was like, oh, yes, I've seen you on TV. It's so nice to meet you. Yeah, I wonder if one of the reasons, well, obviously, there's like the epitome of class and grace, but also we all watched Jacqueline Kennedy sit next to her husband and get hit, get assassinated on TV. And so I wonder if there was also a level of watching a woman that had to overcome public adversity like that, too. Huh. You know, huh. I didn't think about that. Yeah. It's very true. Of course, though, after this meeting, Ike was like, you fucking embarrassed yourself in front of the former first lady. Because, of course, he did. You couldn't just be like, oh, good, you got to meet your idol. And she was like, I don't even care. She was nice to me. And if you look at pictures, I never noticed this, but I've gone back and looked now in the 80s and 90s. Have you ever noticed Tina Turner almost always has pearls on? Like, let her look. let her live her dream let girl her fantasy. Icon. Yes. Okay, so fun fact number two. Tina had two Jaguars? Not one. Um, <laughs> the first was a gift from Sammy Davis Jr. to thank her for being his opening act in Vegas, which sounds very Vegasy. Here, you opened up in Vegas. Here's a Jaguar. Yeah, and I guess we should uh, <laughs> clarify cars, not uh, animals. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the cars. It should be an animal. Yes. <laughs> and then, and then Ike bought her the second one uh, two years later. And she, car, not animal. Car, not animal. <laughs> and she said that when she was driving her car, she's like, I'm not a good driver. I don't consider myself a materialistic person. But when I was driving those cars around and turning on the music and just being myself, it was the only time that she got to just. Oh, oh, I can just see her with her wind in the hair. Yeah. Loving life being like, Mom, you hated to comb this hair earlier. <laughs> now it's blowing in the wind. <laughs> well, speaking of hair, this brings us to fun fact three. Tina made all of her own wigs and she wore wigs like early in her career performing with ike she went to go get her hair relaxed straightened and uh the beautician burnt it all off and so she had to buy wigs and so they didn't have the money for nice ones so she bought a bunch of cheap ones and then she like took them apart and sewed them back together to make them lay right and from then on out, she started designing all of the wigs for herself and the other girls in the the backup dancers. And it was like a huge passion project for her because it gave her this confidence. It helped her. Like we said, she, had, she was real fucked up about her hair because of her mother. And this allowed her to just kind of have that freedom. And so it was like a lifelong project. She loved designing wigs. I love, I love okay. that. So those are some fun facts. Now let's free Tina. Free Tina. Yes. It's 1976 and Ike and Tina are on tour. 
Tina just got herself into this white romper and she is feeling cute. She's boarding a plane, going to Dallas. Um, that's Dallas. That's Dallas. Um, Dallas? I've never heard you say it that way before. But in this moment, you got to put some Nathan on it. So Ike, they're getting on this plane and Ike is hungover as shit. And he's like wanting to lay on Tina. But then he decides to reach in his bag and get this chocolate bar. But it's completely melted. So he gets melted chocolate all over Tina's beautiful white romper. This white shit. outfit. Yes. I would be furious. Divorce. Yes. yes. Well, <laughs> yes. But <laughs> stop jumping the gun, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets mad as fuck. Yeah. And she's like, what the fuck, dude? So they get to Dallas and they're in the limo and I goes into his same old bullshit takes off his shoe to hit Tina because remember he can't hurt his hands because he's a guitarist and little princess. Have a gag. Yeah. And she takes off her shoes and hits him back. Which I am not about spousal abuse, but she had enough. This was her first time she to had fight back. Yeah, this was her first time to really like fight back like that. Yeah, and they get into this huge fight in this limo. And when they get to the hotel, Tina is covered in blood and chocolate, which is my new album name. <laughs> and she's in this beautiful white romper that's just spoiled with blood and chocolate. Hate. And her face looks like she just got in a fucking fight with a grown ass man because she did. But his face lo- yeah. doesn't look great either. And so they're walking into this like fancy schmancy hotel in Dallas and like fur coats looking like they just got attacked because they just attacked each other. But Tina, like while they're walking to their room, she finds, she starts doing her chants, like internally. She finds okay. her, her calmness. And when they get to the room, she turns into like doting spouse and is like, baby, I am so sorry. I don't know what got into me. I don't know why I talk to you like that. I don't know why I hit you. I must be on my period or something. And she's just like, why, why don't you? Or he's just abusive. Yeah, no, but no, but but no, she's, she's play. She's got a long game. She's playing a game here. She's like, babe, you lay down, you rest. I'm going to go to the front desk and get you some Advil. I know your head is killing you. What, when you wake up from your nap, I'm going to give you a foot rub and then we'll go do the show. And he's just like, well, this makes sense. This is obviously not a trick. Okay. You're right. Let me just take a nap. And so he passes out and Tina grabs her fur coat, a little toiletry bag, no money, no chains of clothes, but bitch is out of there. She sneaks out of the hotel through the kitchen so no one would see her and stop to ask for an autograph. Because the, the press is up front waiting until I get pictures of them loading the tour bus to go to the show. Yeah. And she sees a Ramada Inn. God bless Ramada Inn. I know. And she sees a Ramada Inn on the other side of the highway. Okay. Have you ever seen a Dallas highway? Dallas. Dallas. Those highways are just four <laughs> lanes of danger. And there's no, like, crosswalk. And she doesn't have time to, to take the sidewalks and get there safely. So she bolts it across four lanes of Dallas traffic to get to this Ramada Inn. And she is almost hit by an 18-wheeler. She oh says God. that the the driver of the truck is like honking his horn frantically because he can't. He's obviously not going to be able to stop in time, even if he tries. And she's just like, "I either die getting hit by this truck, or I get to the Ramada and hopefully make it safe. Either way, I'm getting the fuck away from Ike Turner." 
I hate, I hate to think of it this way, but hearing this story, if you were the truck driver, you would have been like, oh my God, that was Tina Was Turner. that Tina Turner? <laughs> I almost met Tina Turner. <laughs> Thank God I didn't. <laughs> so she runs into the Ramada Inn, bloody face, almost hit by an 18-wheeler, and she goes to the front desk and says, I'm sorry, I have no money, but I'm running for my life. My name is Tina Turner. I'm in a band with my husband, Ike. We're kind of famous maybe you've heard of us uh we're supposed to play a gig tonight but he just beat the shit out of me and i desperately need your help she was like you know the book that i read this was in 1976 the book that i read she wrote in 2019 so decades and decades later and she's like that man could have called the cops on me that man could have just told me no it but instead what he did is he gave her a suite he was like we will figure out the money thing later let me bring you some soup. Let me bring you a salad. Let me bring you a robe. soup and salad makes it better. Yes. <laughs> he went out of his way to just be like, you are obviously somebody that needs some help right now. And helped her. And that almost makes me want to cry that like, just so many decades and decades later, she's even still like, this man saved my life. He didn't have to. He didn't owe me anything. He didn't know me from a stranger off the street. And he saved my life. So isn't that beautiful? Saint Ramada in Hotel Manager. <laughs> Saint, the patron saint of... <laughs> Tina Turner. I don't know. <laughs> of the Ramada. Of the Ramada. Yes. <laughs> so we don't know exactly how she paid him back. She had no money, but she paid him back in her glorious Ooh. fabulousness. There's an unconfirmed rumor that Anne Margaret paid the bill because. Girl's girl. She's a girl's girl. Yes. Yes. yes but no, because she didn't want to use her credit card because then I could see where she was. So Tina never went back. She never performed with Ike again. She canceled this tour. She filed for divorce as soon as possible. Thank God. And yeah, so that is where we're going to leave Tina Turner. And we will be back in a couple of weeks for Tina's rebirth into the, the amazing woman that we all knew and loved. Yes, thank God we got through this because this was... (laughs) terrible but it's gonna get better it's gonna gonna get get better. better all right well we'll see you in a couple of weeks cheers bitches all you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the this day in history podcast every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when so listen and subscribe to this day in history wherever you get your podcasts that's this day in history wherever you get your podcasts